0: Uh, I want to ask you please if you'd open your Bibles now to Romans in chapter 8 and I want to read to you from verses 18 down to verse 30 and I'll be reading from the NIV translation so please feel free to follow in whatever translation you happen to have and then please keep your Bibles open because we're going to be referring back to the scriptures continually as we go through. The Apostle Paul writes and says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, but not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons... The redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. And we praise God for his word, his word which is still today living and powerful amongst us. Well, it's lovely to come back down to the Redlands as we were driving down this morning, getting close to uh, the church here, we were reminiscent of 32 years ago when we started our ministry at Cleveland Baptist just down the road. And uh, we had seven wonderful years of fellowship there and uh, knowing the likes of Nick as he was growing up and uh, just such a rich blessing. But following our time at Cleveland, we moved on then and pastored for a further seven years at Bean Lee. And in conclusion of our ministry at Bean Lee, we felt that the lord was leading us back to the north side but our our only problem was we, we couldn't actually afford anything and so we ended up buying someone's backyard as you do uh, this older couple were subdividing their backyard it was a a huge allotment it was 20 by 20 400 square meters and that was what we bought and um uh, So the question is, what do you do with a block that size? Well, Wendy came up with this great idea. Why don't we buy an old house and move it there? And so being persuaded, as I was, uh, we bought an old workers' cottage from a farm down at Eagleby and we cut it in half, put it on a truck and brought it up to Mitchelton and we landed it there on the block and then I took three months' long service leave to rebuild this 100-year-old workers' cottage and to turn it into a home. The only problem was that between when we bought it and when we moved it, squatters had gotten in and had totally trashed the joint, and it was it was just a mess. And so we moved into this ramshackled, 100-year-old, essentially two-bedroom workers' cottage, and we rebuilt it around ourselves. And I've got to say that there were many, many mornings when I woke and just open one eye to survey the scene and realise I was living the nightmare. And and, and I would groan. I would literally groan at the prospect of all that lay ahead of me, and yet right beside me was one who kept on encouraging me, darling, this will be worth it. This will be fantastic. And the rhetoric went on day after day after day. Uh, Some little while ago, the, the draftsman who dropped the plans dropped around to our place and he said, Pete, I just can't believe what you've done with this place. Uh, it looks a far sight different now to what it did 17 years ago. At that time, our neighbours were utterly horrified. But, you know, sometimes in, in the midst of the press, when when we are going through the stuff and it is difficult and it is hard, it is hard to see how things might get better. Over recent months, like you, I suspect that we have all been hearing a lot of groaning in our wider community. Our people everywhere are groaning. In fact, most Sundays I find myself preaching in different churches and even amongst folk in churches, I'm hearing a lot of groaning about all that is going on in our world. And you don't need me to remind you about the, the issue of COVID-19. You all had to, to scan your code when you came in today, didn't you, to, to come into the building. And, and the endless changes that have gone on uh, surrounding restrictions and quarantines and all of the rest of that, and we're finding that people everywhere are increasingly becoming weary and tired of the circumstances in which we find ourselves. And for many, it has been extremely difficult. People have been locked out of the state for for months on end not being able to get home to family and loved ones. And along with this, there's been a rise in anxiety and fear and mental health issues all around about us. Speaking recently with someone who was a psychologist, and just saying their books are closed till almost the end of next year because there are so many people wanting to get assistance. In fact, a little while ago I read a piece from the London School of Economics and Political Science and they said COVID-19 seems to have dealt a sudden blow to young people's belief in their own agency. There are few things that better say you are not in control of the situation than a global pandemic and a stay-at-home order. Since the start of the crisis, surveys attest that young people have a newly pessimistic outlook on the future. In the face of the uncertainty of what lies ahead, they are anxious and increasingly concerned about their mental health. And we're seeing that, aren't we? Daily reports of this kinds of thi- these kinds of things. There's a sense of hopelessness that has found its way in to our society on so many levels there's a sense of disillusionment amongst many people but i want to suggest to you this morning it's not just it's not just people who are groaning in fact even as we look at the very world around about us the very created order itself we get a clear sense that there is a groaning within the created order and daily we're hearing reports of natural disasters around the world. Whether it be the recent floods that have swept through so much of Europe, or whether it be earthquakes and hurricanes in Haiti, only just a couple of months ago, in fact, in August, 14th of August, they had a a massive earthquake, and just three days later they were hit by An enormous hurricane. Or whether it be the the continual eruption uh, of the volcano in the Canary Islands that has now been going on for two months unabated. And and we're seeing on so many levels that even the very physical world around about us seems to be groaning. And this, of course, is exactly what the Apostle Paul speaks of, doesn't he, in Romans chapter 8. Will you look again with me at verse 18? The Apostle Paul says, I consider our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, but not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in the hope that creation itself might be liberated from its bondage to decay And brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. The whole of creation has been groaning. And yet in those preceding verses, the Apostle Paul is wanting to contrast for us something quite remarkable. He speaks of the incredible relationship that we have entered into through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at what he says there in verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his Glory. For I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. Do you you see that in the scriptures again and again, suffering and glory actually go hand in hand? And we've already reflected so beautifully today uh, with our brother Nick uh, about the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ. The writer to the Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12 reminds us that the Lord Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame. Why? For, for the glory that lay on the other side of the cross. And so too for the believer, suffering and glory go hand in hand. And yet there is the promise, there is the promise of glory yet to come. But at this moment, I want you to understand the Apostle Paul says we should not be the least bit surprised at the groaning of the creation. So why does the creation groan? Well, to get the answer to that, of course, we've got to go right back to Genesis, don't we? In Genesis chapter 1, and verse 26, we read of God's good creation of mankind. In verse 26, The Lord God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. God created mankind to be his image bearers in this world, to reflect the very glory of the creator in this world. But not only were we created to be his image bearers, we were also created to be his vice regents. We were to rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air. We were to be the rulers over God's creation as the vice regents under the great king, God himself. And in fact, in chapter 2, we see that when God places Adam in the garden, he is given the task of being caretaker of the garden. But of course, we know that as we read on, two two incredibly important things happen. First of all, man sinned. We get this in chapter 3, don't we? Remember in chapter 3, how the serpent comes along to tempt Adam and Eve. And in tempting Adam and Eve, he takes the word of God, he twists God, the word of God. He says, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Which, of course, was not true. And Eve actually gives the corrective to what the serpent says. But then he goes on to say, you will not surely die. You will not surely die if you eat of this fruit because God simply knows that the day in which you eat of the fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so the fundamental temptation was, listen, you don't need God to tell you what to do. You can actually become your own gods. You can decide for yourself what is right and wrong, what is good and evil. And the temptation was to reject God's authority and to become your own authority. And yet for Adam and Eve, in falling for the temptation, they very quickly brought themselves not under God's authority, but under Satan's authority. And in consequence of their sin, we find that God brings about the curse. The very curse that he had promised to Adam and Eve. And as we go on in chapter 3, we'll find that there are, in a sense, three levels of this curse. If you have a look at chapter 3 and verse 14. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You'll crawl on your belly. And you'll eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And of course, here we have uh, that very first of the great messianic promises of the one who would come to deal the death blow to our great enemy, the devil. But the serpent is cursed. But not only that, we discover that Adam and Eve also come under a curse. There is to be an immediate sense of that curse in which their relationship with God was broken. That perfect union that they had between man and his creator was broken. In one sense, they died spiritually that day. But not only that, the journey of life in their limited number of years would be hard. For the woman, there would be pain in childbirth. For the man, he would eat his food through the sweat of his brow until ultimately God reminds him that ultimately he will return to the ground. Since from the ground he was taken, from dust you are, and to dust you will return. The very curse of God that he had promised back in chapter 2 came about. Adam and Eve were going to die. But there's another element to the curse. And we find that there in verse 17. And God said, cursed is the ground because of you. Because of the entrance of sin into this world, the whole of the created order has come under a curse. And we recognise that, don't we? We see it played out for us day after day after day in the news. And we don't need to look far to see that we are living in a broken and a cursed world. But I love the way that the Apostle Paul speaks about this. He says, we know that the creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth up to the present time. Now, I expect that for most of the men in the room here, we we don't know a lot about childbirth. We know something of it. Uh, I know that uh, as I was there beside Wendy for each of our three children coming into this world, that, that I shared something of the pain uh, because every time she had a contraction, she dug her fingernails into my back. Uh, she said it was therapeutic. Uh, I don't know whether that was therapeutic for her or for me. Uh, but but I, I, I felt something of the pain. But, but, you see, with the pain of childbirth, there is the prospect of joy at the end of the journey, isn't there? There's something good that is going to come. And so the Apostle Paul says the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. But there's a sense that there is something better yet to come. But then when you notice what he says in verse 23, and not only... So, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You see what he's saying? The whole of the created order is, in one sense, groaning under the curse that was occasioned because of sin. But not only that, we too, we are groaning. But let me hasten to say, the groaning that the Apostle Paul is speaking about here is not the groanings of this world. You see, the groanings of this world are groanings that are typically held because people are not satisfied with their lot in life. Life has not been fair. Things have been tough for me. And and people have not been fair. I have not received my just desserts. My rights have been trampled on. This world has not turned out to be the utopian dream that I deserve. You know the kind of language, don't you? We hear that again and again. And people groan because life is not as they had dreamt it could be or should be for them particularly. And so we live in a world of groaning. But the Apostle Paul wants to remind us that our groaning is to be of a vastly different type. Our groaning is motivated by a vastly different desire. He says we groan inwardly. Why? Because we are waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. What are they talking about there? In verses 15 and 16, the Apostle Paul has already told us, he says, For you did not receive a spirit that made you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry out, Abba, Father. His spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And the reality is, The moment we came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we were given the good deposit of the Spirit of God and by him we have been adopted into the very family of God. And yet there is a sense. There is a sense that on the one hand we have already been drawn into the Father's embrace but there's also a sense in which we are not quite there yet. Over the years as we've... uh, worked our our way through with the kids and um, I've had a a bit of a a habit of buying dilapidated caravans. It seems to be a bit of a theme in my life. I I get dilapidated things and try to fix them up. Um, But I I can remember on one occasion we bought a a very dilapidated old green Millard caravan. Uh, It looked... It was a frightening colour, although it was was very good for safety on the road, I suspect. But I, I got a hold of this thing and I basically gutted it and put in three uh, Three tier bunks for the children, and uh, and so we would we would load up every holiday time, and we'd head up to Cloundra to go on holidays. And the children absolutely loved it. That they still reflect with such delight on those holidays there uh, at Cloundra on the side of the Bribe Passage, uh, sailboarding up and down the passage. I think it was uh, your son Zed who actually taught me. Uh, to love that sport, but the, the kids love that. But I, I can well remember we'd, we'd get the children into the car after, you know, I've done all of the work to prepare, pack the caravan, it's all there, and we're in the car and we're just pulling out of the driveway and we would barely get to the outskirts of Brisbane. And it would start, are we there yet? Are we there yet? We? And I'd be thinking, seriously, you know, just, yes, well, well we are, we're, we're on holidays, but we're not quite there yet. And the truth is, the same could be said of our experience of God's good plan for us. Yes, we are already children, but he says that we are groaning inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons. There's a sense in which we live in the now and the not yet. Oh yes, we know. We know that we've been saved by grace through faith. We know from Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise God for that. We know these truths. But we also know that we're not perfect yet, don't we? We know that we're not perfect yet, and so the battle continues. In, In fact... In Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul has been reflecting on that battle. That battle that goes on as we wait for that day when we finally see Jesus face to face. You see, the reality is that we don't know fully yet what we shall be. Remember the words of the Apostle John, 1 John chapter 3. He says, dear friends, we know we are children of God. We know. We know that we're children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in himself purifies himself, just as he is pure. Why do we groan? Because life's not fair. Because people have trampled my rights. Because I haven't got things the way that I wanted it to be. I haven't lived uh, the, the extraordinary life that everyone told me I deserve. No, that's not why we groan. We groan because we know that we are not yet fully perfected. As the Apostle Paul says in verse 23. We need to keep on groaning. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Does it seem a strange thing to you that he should say the redemption of our bodies? Why does he talk in such language as this? You know, if you go back to chapter 7 you'll recall the Apostle Paul has been lamenting the battle that goes on in his body. You see, our bodies become the instrument through which sin is manifest. And you remember how the Apostle Paul in chapter 7 has been lamenting the fact in verse 15, I do not understand what I do for what I want to do, I do not do, and what I do, I hate. He says, I know that Nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. But down in verse 22, he says, For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of the mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin at work within my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this? This body of death. I'm so glad he doesn't finish it there, hey? Verse 25, he gives the answer. Yes, I'll tell you who will rescue you. Praise God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God. This is where the battle is to be won. And so in a similar way, Moving into chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if we live according to the sinful nature, we will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. See, the Apostle Paul reminds us again and again. You go to the book of Ephesians in chapter 2, the first three verses. He reminds us of the continuing battle that we have with the world, the flesh and the devil. There is an ongoing battle that we are all engaged in. And this, this is why we groan. As long as we are in this body, there will be a sense of groaning in the battle. But listen to me, it's a battle in which the outcome is utterly assured. Groaning may be a part of the journey, but glory awaits on the other side. Did you see what he said again in verse 17? Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs together with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. There is glory that awaits us. There is glory that awaits us. There is a sense of perfection that awaits us. But how do we press on in the midst of the here and now? And I think the Apostle Paul wants to answer that question for us very clearly in verse 26. In the same way. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us With groans that words cannot express. Do you see this the third time? He's used this word groaning. But here we have the one who groans perfectly on our behalf. Oh yes, we are called to pray, aren't we? We are called to pray in the midst of the battle. Remember Jesus with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. Watch and pray so that you will not enter into temptation. That is... Man, that is such a vitally important message, isn't it, for all of us. Watch and pray. As Jesus taught his disciples to pray the Lord's Prayer there in Matthew 6. Pray, deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Hebrews 5 and verse 16. Let us come then boldly before the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We've we've had that verse repeatedly used in our service here together today. We are called upon to pray, and rightly so. But there is one Who prays and intercedes on our behalf with perfect groanings. Why? Because, verse 27, He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. There is one who intercedes for me day by day by day and he prays for me in perfect alignment with the will of God. Hey, what is the will of God? Well, he goes straight on to tell us. Verse 28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. This is God's will. This is God's perfect will For you and for me, that we might be thoroughly and completely conformed to the image of his Son and our Saviour. That we might become more and more like the Lord Jesus. And in one sense it doesn't just stop there because he goes on to say, And those he predestined he also called, and those he called he also justified, and those he justified he also glorified. The amazing thing is that he uses that word glorified there in the past tense. In other words, it's as good as done. You can guarantee that the glory is coming. Make no mistake about it. For all of the groanings of this life and the struggles and the battles that we might go through as we battle with our old flesh, glory is coming. And I used to wake up and open one eye and look at that horrendous scene of that dilapidated old farmhouse. There was one beside me who kept on reminding me, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. And I think the tragedy is when I see believers who have given up on the battle. They've given up on the groaning that they might become more and more like Jesus and they've actually succumbed to the groanings of this world and they look so very, well, little difference between them and the rest of the world. Because their groanings is, are not about God's ultimate purpose and glory, but their groanings about their own short-sighted, selfish interests. So the Apostle Paul wants to remind us there is no place for us young or old, to give up in the battle. It is worth it. The groans are still worth it. And God has not for a moment given up on any one of us. Because he is in there for us. He is the one who is interceding. In fact, I love the way that the Apostle Paul speaks about it there. In verse 26, he says, The Spirit groans for us. And then a little later on, he talks about the Lord Jesus, who is now seated at the right hand of God, verse 34, and is also interceding for us. I mean, what what more could we wish for than to know that he is actually in it for us? He's actually in it for us to complete his good work. Don't you love what we get in Philippians 1.6? Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it, even until the day of Jesus Christ. I want to remind you this morning that God has promised that he will never, not even for the slightest moment, ever give up on you. And even if you and I are inclined at times to give up on ourselves, God is never going to give up because he is committed to perfecting that which concerns us for his glory. So I want to ask you today, have you been groaning a little bit lately? Honestly, have you been groaning? I suspect we all have been. And the truth is, I suspect that we probably have found ourselves at times groaning just as the world groans. You, know, you talk to your neighbours and they're groaning and moaning about all that's going on and when will the borders open up and, and you know what will be the restrictions and all of the rest of that. And, and we, we, we do, we find it, we're, we're living in that, we're breathing that atmosphere. And I want to remind you that as a child of God, you have a much deeper groaning which is of far, far greater importance. And it's a groaning that you might become more and more like Jesus. Oh, please, God, that we would see believers in our society today who know that kind of groaning, who have that desire to become more and more like Jesus. What what does the Apostle John say? Whoever has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. And in the midst of a groaning world, We need to see believers whose lives are standing out in such stark contrast to the groaning, moaning world. People who are living such good lives before men that they will see and be forced to glorify our Father who is in heaven. Please, God, may we be those kinds of people in this day and in this age as we hold forth the word of life in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation. May God be glorified in his people. Amen. Heavenly Lord, we want to say thank you for your word. We want to say thank you that your word speaks to us so clearly, so powerfully, from age to age. It has spoken and it continues to speak. It is the living word of God. It's quick and it's powerful. And so, Father, we pray today that we ourselves will have heard well your word. But as James says, Lord, we pray that we would not be merely hearers of the word, but we would be doers of the word also. That we would have ears to hear, but hearts to obey and to surrender so that we might long even more that we might be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And so, Father, we pray, strengthen us in the journey. Help us, Lord, in our resolve to keep pressing on. And we give you thanks that in the midst of it all, you've promised the gracious aid of your blessed Holy Spirit, the one who intercedes for us with groans which words cannot even express, and how we give you our thanks and our praise. May our praise be more than simply the words that flow from our lips, but may our praise truly be our lives surrendered to you for all of your good purpose. And we ask it in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.